how's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Bearded Ecclesiologian podcast. I'm your host, the Bearded Ecclesiologian, K.V. Paxton, and it has been a long time since we did an episode. Let me explain. I make fun of people for using this excuse, but I'm going to use it, you guys. I've been kind of busy. Every time I have gone to record an episode, something happens, something comes up, something prevents me from doing so. The last couple of weeks also have been quite busy for your boy. I went and got my diploma and officially became Dr. Ecclesiologian. So I had to go do that. Also, I recorded an episode on my phone. Because my host has a feature that makes you do that, and the quality was not good. So I scrapped that. It was like a 25-minute episode, but it was the quality was not good at all. So we scrapped that. But I'm here. You're here. My beard's here. My Sprite can is here. Uh, and we're ready to do a new episode of the Beard Ecclesiologian podcast. Thank you for sticking with me. Do all the things that I ask you to do there. Uh, at the end of the episode, make sure you subscribe, share with your friends, share on social media, share via Carrier Pigeon, just turn an episode of Beard Ecclesiologian on in the car when you got your friend in there too, just take over the radio even if it's not your car, give it five stars on the Apple Podcast Machine, that'll help other people see it as well. Let's dive into our topic today. Frequent listeners of the Bearded Ecclesiologian podcast know that I like to give the attractional model, the consumeristic model, the pragmatic model. These are all sort of interchangeable in some ways of church a hard time because I do not like it. I think it's counterproductive. I think it's unwise and unbiblical. And so for today's episode, I'm going to dive a little deeper into it. Not super deep, but I uh, this is essentially what I want to talk about on this episode I want to ask, because the more I think about the attractional model, the angrier I get, the more frustrated I get, uh, I understand the motivation to do it, but I think, and here's the, the topic title of the episode today, the attractional model has broken our brains. I think it has broken our brains. And by this, I mean, we have done the attractional model, consumeristic model, pragmatic models for so long, and our lives are so inundated with consumerism. That's our culture. Everything is consumerism. And we drag that to the church. Also, church leaders use attractional models, feed into consumerism, and measure success by pragmatism. And so... We have gotten this cycle for 40, 50 years where this is how the church has been presented and thought of. And now our brains are jacked up in the way we think, view, and treat the church. And I'm going to list a couple things uh, here in a little bit. Ways I think that our brains have been broken when it comes to the church, which has made our ecclesiology abysmal. Um, And I mean this more on the layperson level. And so, of course, I have a lot to say about um, churches, church leaders, pastors who use these models. Uh, But for this, I 
I think these are ways that lay people, average members, average attenders, brains have been broken in some ways. And I don't know how to say that better. But uh, let me let's do a, a little background, maybe a couple definitions for you. When I say pragmatism, what I mean is essentially it's a posture or thinking that says if it works, let's do it. Right? Or another way to put it, if it works, let's work it. <laughs> that sounds weird. If it works, let's do it. And if it's working, let's continue to do it. If it doesn't work, then you scrap it, right? What works, quote, unquote, I'm doing finger quotes. You can't see me because this isn't TV, it's radio. But what works? And, you know, the goalposts move on that also. Um, This is what Jared Wilson says in his book, uh, The Prodigal Church, talking about pragmatism. He says, pragmatism is not the same thing as being practical. The Bible is practical. All one has to do is read Proverbs, see how practical the Bible could be. But pragmatism is a kind of thinking that values a thing based entirely on its apparent practicality. Pragmatism judges the usefulness of a particular practice or sometimes even a particular person based on results. So, he says, for instance, if you could get 5,000 people through your church doors on Easter Sunday by giving away a car, then giving away a car is good. In the pragmatic way of thinking, the ends justify the means and then a little bit later and I, I would encourage you to get this book if you're looking for a book to read um, the prodigal church is what it's called the gentle manifesto against the status quo by uh, Jared C. Wilson it's been out for several years it's by Crossway so you could probably uh, get a good deal on that but uh, a little bit later he's talking about um, you know the parable of the sower uh, from Luke 8 you remember that parable when the, the sower uh, chucks the seed and then some seed lands here, some seed lands there. One takes root, the rest wither away, and then Jesus explains what each one is, right? But uh, I'd encourage you also to go read the parable of the sower, Luke 8, 5 through 8. But Wilson says this, using the parable of the sower, the sower appears to be scattering the seed somewhat indiscriminately. He's not testing the soil. He doesn't know if the seed will take root in some places as opposed to others. He simply remains faithful to do his work. It is practical work, too. He is responsible for sharing the gospel, but whether the gospel finds purchase in particular hearts is entirely up to God. This is partly why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's assuming that one cannot receive the word of truth without spiritual ears to hear it. The pragmatic spirit would incline the sower toward more strategy. He would test the soil. He would determine his target constituency. He would perhaps even genetically re-engineer the seed so pragmatism if it works let's do it like like the example he said if if we could give away a car and we could advertise this and it gets people to the church and look at the big attendance number we have because people are coming to at least they'll hear the gospel right that that's kind of what when i say i think and I want to apply the best possible motives to people who approach church with the attractional model and the pragmatic model. And again, the tra- attractional model is, I mean, it's kind of interchangeable with the pragmatic model. It's its what attracts people do that, okay? 
And so pastors' motives and leaders' motives is what's the big deal if we do this thing if it gets people into church to hear the message, you see? Now, again, I think that is a good motive, but I would push back against that and say that's not biblical. Uh, It's not the way that Scripture calls us to do. And I think that what happens, and I, I don't think, I know that it's a slippery slope because you think about the Willow Creek model, okay? And that's what a lot of attractional models and, and pragmatic models, that's their grandparent, okay? The Willow Creek model started with, you know, Bill Hybels um, went out, essentially, him and his team went out and they they went to the neighborhoods that surrounded the church and they like knock literally knock on doors and ask people like why aren't you in church and then the people would be like you know the music's a bummer it's boring i wouldn't listen to that um the talks the sermons they're boring we don't like those they're not engaging pastors aren't charismatic uh the coffee's bad uh you don't have programs for my kids you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so what Willow Creek did is they went back and they said, let's give the people what they want because then it'll get people in church and then our church will grow and people will hear the message, right? And so that's exactly what they did, right? So they had uh, programs out the wazoo for every age and, and life station that you could possibly think of. Um, you know, the music turned into like a concert venue with like the lights and the and the, the, the fog machines and um you know, you, you see the fruit of that in like Hillsong and Bethel and, and, and mega places like that who are known for that, you know, rock concert uh, vibes. And then, you know, the pastor didn't really preach. It was more like a talk, you know, and, um, you know, eventually you had guys who like sat down while they were preaching or had like a little weird TV on the stage with with graphics and pictures. And mostly the sermons were, you know, uh big long illustrations that taught some kind of moral lesson. Um, but again, the, the slippery slope became, if you say, let's do whatever it takes to get people in. And then they could hear about the gospel. Then eventually you realize that if you're preaching sermons that are offensive and telling people how much of, uh, sinners they are and how much, how big wretches they are and how depraved they are, won't sell either. And so it's only a matter of time, perhaps, before you start watering down your messages to where they're inoffensive. And then what happens? You end up with no gospel. And I I would say I haven't heard a lot of Bill Hybels stuff. He ended up retiring and now he's um, in disgrace because of some inappropriateness that happened with him. It was a cult of personalities. I mean, they, they usually are these big mega churches. But uh, I know that a lot of Will Creek's theology is not great. And the same thing with Hillsong, the same thing with Bethel. Um, there's constant debates in music ministry about whether or not uh, Orthodox churches should sing Bethel and Hillsong songs because even if the song might be okay, the church teaches bad theology. And so uh, that can be a fruit 
slippery slope of the attractional pragmatic model. In fact, Jared Wilson, again, let me quote him. He says this uh, a few paragraphs later. What we would have been shocked to hear is that pragmatism is anti-gospel. Pragmatism is anti-gospel because it treats evangelism as a kind of pyramid scheme aimed at people who have it all together, not discerning that in the Gospels, those most right for the Gospel were those at the bottom of societal case system, the undesirable, the non-influential. It also, in a way, inverts the Great Commission. Effective evangelism is seen as the domain of the experts putting the church production together. The missional mandate becomes less go and tell and more come and see. And so that's another problem with this model. Um, it's it's get people to church, and then it makes people think that the main ministry happens at this building. It's it's come to it's come to our weird events, and uh, just come see and be a spectator. Do you understand? And then later he and I don't want to quote uh, Wilson only on this podcast episode, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. He cites a book in this book. So I'm citing his book that cites a book uh, called The Divine Commodity. Okay. And in it, this guy says, increasingly, you find people talking about the worship experience rather than the worship service. That reflects what's happening in the outside world. I'm dismayed to see churches abandon the means of grace that God ordained simply to conform to the patterns of this world. Then that same guy says here in a moment, a little bit later, he says, the word getting is, I think, the problem with contemporary Christianity. God is the audience of worship. What you get is, quite frankly, irrelevant as a starting point. Hello. And so, of course, he's right. Um... The attractional model and the pragmatic model uh, is based on people getting, coming and getting, um, being receivers uh, rather than contributors. And this is bad because that's not that's not the pattern of the New Testament. I mean, I challenge anybody to find me where in the New Testament they could uh, show a pattern of attractionalism and pragmatism. You know, what works doesn't matter. Um, what matters is what does the Bible say? Uh, because this is the most practical book of all, as Jared Wilson said. Um, you must rely on God for the growth if you use a biblical ecclesiology model, a, a biblical model of church where your starting point isn't what do people want, but what does God say we should do? Um, and then you have the promise of, you know, 1 Corinthians 3. If you plant and you water, God will give the growth. If God wants your church to grow, uh, he's not dependent on your ingenuity. He's not dependent on your ability to attract people through the ways of the world because the, the church is not a business. And I think that's another problem that we have is that we try to think of the church like a business. In fact, Heibel's in, in his office, there was a poster that said, 
what is our business who is our customer what does the customer consider value and then that was essentially the philosophy of the ministry that church is like a big box with programs for people at every level of spiritual maturity to consume and engage and that's the mistake that willow creek made that's the attractional model what do people want let's give it to them and then you know what the what the other problem is in this Whatever you, you win, the the old phrase goes, whatever you win them with, you win them too. So whatever program, whatever attraction uh, you win, you won them into your church, bro, you better keep doing that. Because once you stop doing that, then they have no, you know, the, the, the customer that you have made has no use for you anymore because you stopped providing the only thing that they were there for. Do you understand? And so... I just quoted there was from a, a Christianity Today um, article from several years ago where it's talking about Willow Creek, uh, where Willow Creek went back and thought about and looked at and evaluated their approach to ministry and realized that it was it was wonky. I mean, they, they realized that they reached the goal of getting warm bodies into the building, but they did not make disciples. And that was the the big problem. Uh, you know, they, they, they finally realized, sure, we got people in and we made bukus of money. Um, but what did we really accomplish? Because nobody, like, not nobody, you know what I mean? I'm being hyperbolic here, but nobody was maturing in Christ here because, you know, it's like you get people to the church and then you just kind of assimilate them into these activities, not as disciples, right? But as customers and as consumers, they come not, um, and of course, again, it's not everybody, but like they didn't come because purely because Jesus was the attraction, right? It was something else. It was, I love their dope coffee bar. My kids have fun in their uh, gigantic play yard, you know, big indoor play sp- space, you know. Uh, my kid loves the programs, and my youth like going on these trips, and uh, my youth like... Um, having the pizza parties and the games and all of that uh, nonsense. And I like the music. <laughs> and I like the atmosphere. And I like the uh, experience. And and I like uh, how, you know, the talks, they're really topical. And they just speak to where I am in my life, you guys. You know, the pastor's not preaching expository sermons through books. I mean, those are boring, right? Uh, why do that when you could just uh, have a Jesus at the movies sermon series every summer or a, a series on sex and marriage or uh, a series on parenting or a series on this or that, whatever. Um, as long as people get there, uh, we're doing what we're supposed to do. You understand, okay? How has it broken our brain? This is what I think is, it has done. To start with, uh, and I'm going to give you four. Okay, I'm going to give you four ways that I think, big ways, and I don't think these are all of them, that the attractional and pragmatic models have broken our brains. Number one, this is the biggest of all, right? It devalues Jesus' bride. It devalues Jesus' bride. Because, again, the church... Is Jesus' bride and body. He is the head 
right, of the church. Uh, he created it. He's over it. He's the Lord of it. He gives the instructions on it. It is our job to follow, right? He's the owner. He's the head. He's the creator. But the church is also his bride, and Ephesians 5 says that precise thing, that um, he is going to present her without spot and wrinkle, right? He, he says that human marriage is a picture of the gospel. So when you, you husband serves his wife well, um, he is picturing how Jesus served the church. Husband dies to himself for his wife, picturing how uh, Jesus died uh, for the church, etc., etc., but you just think about the lofty image of of the church as Jesus' bride, right? And I don't want to get too graphic, okay? But I think you're probably going to realize where I'm going with this. How dare we? How dare we treat Jesus' wife cheaply? When we treat the church you see how we've broken people's brains when they view the church as something they could take or leave or as something that is supposed to provide them with goods and services spiritual goods and services and then once that doesn't fulfill me anymore i can sever the relationship and i'll go somewhere else see that's that's what it's done to us i could easily I could easily go somewhere else. And I could come in, right? There's, there's, do you hear that walking? Somebody walking into the church? That's the door opening. Uh, I could easily go in and say, you do what I want. You provide what I say you provide or else. And I've seen this. I've seen this a million times. Um, I've heard about it a million times in churches where because we have created this idea in people's mind that the church merely exists to fulfill their spiritual wants or their just their desires. Play my music. Have my decorations in the worship service. Have my programs. Have my Sunday school class. Have my, 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 my. Or else I'm taking my money, right, and my body and I'm going to go somewhere else. <clears throat> and so that's not how you treat the bride of Christ. That's how you treat JC Penny, right? That's how you treat Burger King. That's how you treat McDonald's. That's how you treat uh, any other actual business that thrives on consumerism. But why would you treat the church like that? Do you see? It's like I even had one time I heard a deacon out of his mouth. This was years and years and years ago before I got to my current church. I heard a deacon say, I can have it the way I want to in every other avenue of life. Why shouldn't I have it the way I want in the church? And I was like gobsmacked. And I answered, I said, because it's the church. <laughs> it's not, this, isn't, this isn't your job. This isn't walmart this isn't burger king this isn't anything like that where you could just get up and say i'm never gonna you know you expect stores to serve you the way that you want because that's what they're there for the church is not there to meet the desires and preferences of petulant people right it's to edify the saints and reach the lost and glorify god first and foremost that's why it's there 
And so how dare we treat Jesus' bride so cheaply? I think this is the most grievous thing to me that it just makes my skin crawl. I mean, it's why it makes me so, why I'm so zealous against this model. Because I get, I get, I get, you might have good motives, man, but what are, you, what are we doing to people's brains? You know what I mean? What have we done that we have devalued Jesus' bride in such a way? But we got to keep going. And I've already kind of said this, but our number two is it makes abandoning the church easy. Because, again, if it's if the church is a provider of spiritual goods and services, it's there for me to consume. It's there to attract me. It's there to serve me. It's there to do what I want. Then um, if it's like any other consuming thing I do, I could just get up and leave, right? I can abandon it quite easily because it's just another, you know, it's just another thing in my life that I could take or leave. And if I want to leave it, I'll just go down the street to some other provider of goods and services who has what I want. And again, um, this abandoning of the fellowship should be quite serious uh, for us. But I've seen how easy it is for people and it's grievous because what you're not, you're not, you know, if, again, if I go to Burger King, okay, and, um, or let's use this, okay, so last week, I think it was last week, I had Little Caesars, okay, and, you know, you know, Little Caesars, I mean, it's, uh, it's not good, it's, uh, it's like that meme where, uh, you know, it said Little Caesars, hot and ready and then somebody said is it good and they said it's hot and it's ready <laughs> and so I had little seizures it made me sick um, afterwards I did not feel well at all and um, so I resolved I'm like I'm not going back to little seizures uh, guess what little seizures cannot possibly care less <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> like again with any other store or restaurant I go to or any other consumer product, if I say, I'm done with you, you change something that I don't like, you know, they don't care. They're not going to notice. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter to them. Um, there's going to be other people who buy their product. It's fine. But why would we, we view the church like this? Like, if I abandon it, who cares? Because I could just go down the street for another product, right? If Little Caesar makes me sick, I'll never go there again. I'll just go to Pizza Hut instead, right? No big deal. Who gives a rip? How, how can we do that to the church, though? Because you know what happens? You're not leaving a business for another business. You are hurting people, right? Because you're abandoning people. We talked in, a, in an early episode about a picture of the church being the church as family. Uh, and you hear people talk about this all the time uh, and use this language of the church as my family. Well, what are you leaving them so easily for? You know, people I've seen, you know, every pastor has experienced people who don't like the pastor and so they leave, right? Um, and it's kind of like, I'll show you, I'll go to another church. But it's like, I've always thought like, I always grieve when, when somebody leaves the church. But like, I'm thinking like, you know, you're who you're hurting. The people you say you love, you know, that's who you're hurting most of all. You're abandoning them. Um, not just me, but them. And they see that how easy it was to just, you know, I'll just take my business elsewhere. Our brains are broken. If the church really is a family, 
we're not gonna leave them not not because our needs aren't man what is that um nobody who who treats a family like that uh that's not good that's very bad nobody looks at the guy who abandoned his wife and kids to go with a, a younger girl you know uh, a younger woman and 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 divorce his wife and sees that guy and goes oh, yeah i understand no i mean <laughs> how could you do that <laughs> that's your, your family, that's your, you, you covenanted with them to be there and serve them and take care of them. And how could you? Uh, maybe that's, that's what more we should think of abandoning the fellowship as. You're hurting people. You're leaving people. Uh, but again, the tractional model has broken our brains to where we don't see it as a big deal. Another one is... It doesn't, number three, it doesn't mature you. The attractional model, and I'm not saying again, like nobody matures in attractional model churches, um, but it's not really designed to mature you. As I said, um, the Willow Willow Creek came out and, and was like, you know what, <clears throat> we didn't, people weren't mature. And so here's a quote from the report that came out. They said, participation is a big deal. We believe more people participate in these set of activities with higher levels of frequency. It will produce disciples of Christ. This has been Willow's philosophy of ministry in a nutshell. The church creates programs and activities. People participate in these activities. The outcome is spiritual maturity. In a moment of stinging honesty, the guy who did the report says, I know it might sound crazy, but that's how we do it in churches. We measure levels of participation. Then they say in this article, having put so many of their eggs into the program-driven church basket, you can understand their shock when the research revealed that increasing levels of participation in these sets of activities does not predict whether someone's becoming more of a disciple of Christ. It does not predict whether they love God more or they love people more. It's simply, again, why would you mature? Because you're not invested in your maturation. You're invested in coming to an event once a week. You check off on the box. You are entertained by this event, not challenged. Uh, frequently, you're not challenged in this kind of model because it's not good for business to call people on their sins and things like this. Uh, you might have attractional model churches where the pastor's calling out sins, but it's like sins of people not in the room, but in the world, right? Um, but... Again, it doesn't sell to call people on their sins. So why would they mature? And again, if you're going to have program, if you're going to have ways of doing church, things in the church, models in the church to mature people, it's inevitably going to challenge people. And being challenged is uncomfortable because, as you know, I'm sure you know, um, you only grow through discomfort. And so, in some ways, you're going to have to give people at times what they need. And that's not always what they want. And so, again, if we if the model is attractional, uh, you're going to do things that attract people and maturation isn't even really the goal, right? It's like kind of, if it's a byproduct, then cool, then uh, that's great. Lastly, number four, and this is a big one, of course, um, it moves the center and the focus of the church away from God and Christ and the Spirit. And so... If you're thinking primarily, and I mentioned this earlier, um, what do people want? Your first thought isn't what does God call us to do? And so we're going to talk about another episode. Um, we're going to ask, answer the question, essentially, what should we do 
in the worship service. Um, and, of course, it should be what Scripture calls us to do. That's putting the cart before the horse. But uh, you knew I was going to say that anyway. <laughs> but the attractional model, pragmatic model, uh, consumeristic model moves the focus away from God and to the people. It's asking, what do the people want? What will keep them here? What will keep them coming? What will entertain them? What will keep their focus? That's why dudes like be playing movie clips and, and things like this in the middle of sermons. It's like, why? Because people like that stuff, right? It entertains them. Um, it keeps them coming back. Uh, you know, if you have a pastor who is real charismatic and real funny and all that junk, um, that'll draw people in because they'll be engaged the whole time. And then again, you're building off of his gifts. And a lot of times that turns out bad because, um, the Bible has a lot more to say about the character of the pastor and a lot less to say about how charismatic he is. Um, and a lot of times these guys, um, like if you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, um, Mark Driscoll's gifts outpaced his maturation. And that's not good. That's bad. And so God, of course, should be the focus. He is the one who gets the glory and the praise and the honor. We're there to worship him. Um, and through that, we will be edified. But if the focus is on entertaining us, God won't be glorified. And we probably won't be edified either. We will just be entertained. And what is the point of that when you could just go down the street and watch a stinking movie in the movie theater or turn on Netflix at your crib. Go to church to worship a beautiful, glorious, worthy God. Um, and Jesus should be the focus and the center and the attraction. Well, you know what we should do? I've taken up too much of your time already. Let's go ahead and... This is, can you imagine? Jared Wilson. <laughs> this book really is good, you guys, all right? But, uh, and he has a center section here where he talks about um, pragmatism, of course, and from watching to beholding is the chapter where I want to uh, read. Um, I'm actually going to read from two different chapters. Okay, you ready? Here's the quote of the week. The first one is from uh, the chapter called What Works, where I've been reading from so far. He says, and I quote, The weekend church gathering is never seen in the scriptures as a place where individuals go to enjoy a particular experience, nor as a central place of evangelism. When those things are the focus, the worship service loses its Bible, biblical identity, which in turn degrades the church's own identity. If you treat the worship gathering as an experiential production, in other words, the church begins to see itself as concert goers or again, as customers rather than the body of Christ. Wowee. A, a little bit later, he says, In addition, because authentic worship begins with God, must have the real, one, true, living God as its object. We cannot worship the God of our preference or the God of our pleasing. We must worship God for who he really is, not for who we'd like him to be. This means that when we come and worship... We're not just worshiping the God who is touchy-feely and lovey-dovey and would have died for us if we'd been the only one. We're also worshiping the God who commands storms, hangs planets, explodes galaxies, and sends people to hell. Worshiping the God who controls the universe. Worshiping the God who has the power and authority over all eternity. This is not your own personal Jesus. That God is manageable. 
No, we worship the God who is the great I am. The God who was and is and is to come. The God who created the universe out of nothing. The God who gives life and takes it away. The God who sends rain on barren lands. And the God who is a consuming fire. Mm. That's a good one. That's a good one. Hey, man, thanks. Thank you for tuning in again to the Beard Ecclesiologian podcast. If you're listening to this, thank Gravy that you didn't give up on me because I hadn't done the episode in a little bit. Thank you. I will try to be better. This I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky. I'll try to record more episodes of this podcast. But thank you. I appreciate you for tuning in. If there's a topic you want me to cover or if you have a question about ecclesiology, I would love, just love to hear it and answer it i'm always looking for topic ideas so if you got one man shoot it over to me and there are a couple ways you could do it in your show notes if you look there's a link press that you can send me a voice memo if you do not want me to play that on the air make a note of that on the memo and i won't i'll just read it you can be anonymous or you go to kvpaxton.com there's a contact me link there at the top click that fill that out it'll get to my email um, and we'll perhaps cover it on a future episode. Thank you again for tuning in to Beard Ecclesiologian Podcast, where we cover all things church because we need more teaching about the church and not less. Subscribe, share with your friends, give it five stars. Until next time, we'll see you then.